All right, we're in Luke 3 today. Would you turn there with me? We were in Luke 3 last week as well, and we are today. We're going to continue in this passage. If you'll remember, John the Baptist is preaching out in the wilderness. He's getting after it a little bit. Pretty direct message coming from John. We're going to pick up in verse 7 this morning. Look into God's word with me. He then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers. It's aggressive. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What then should we do? The crowds were asking him. He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He told them, Don't collect any more than you've been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, What should we do? He said to them, Don't take money from anyone by force or by false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. Now, The people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one is more powerful than I. One who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Then, along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. So, I want to draw your attention first to what is going on around John out in the wilderness. There are big crowds, long lines, long lines waiting to be baptized. These are, this is kind of setting the scene for you here. So as, as Scott did the welcome this morning for the you know, first time he mentioned his second week with us, he, he and I were able to jump on a, a Discover class uh, Zoom call this week and welcome some new members into our church, which was really cool. And I'm always reminded during that that we have two requirements uh, requirements to become a member of the church at Harpeth Heights. We ask that you profess Jesus as Lord. You heard Shailen in the baptismal waters earlier. Make that as her profession of faith from the baptismal waters. And we ask that you be baptized by immersion. Those are two uh, requirements that we have. Now, as we were doing the Discover class, and I was thinking about this text, it, it struck me that there's something about John's message here that was hitting home with the people, right? Uh, much more than it seems like my sermons each week hit home with the people. <laughs> I 
mean, he's got people lining up to be baptized. There are crowds there. Something is going on here. And it's interesting because his message, I confess, seems a little bit more direct than I try to be. I try to, you know, sometimes I hem and haw. You heard of that? I try to, you know, sneak around a little bit and catch you, make it hit home. I mean, the truth is, I'm preaching to a lot of Christians each week, and we need to be reminded. It seems like John is being met in the wilderness by a whole lot of people who need to be told for the first time. Not that you and I don't need to be told, but, you know, I try to find the perfect way each week to proclaim the gospel so you'll believe it more or perhaps believe it for the first time, which would be so cool. But John, y'all, he did not, him, he did not haul. Pastor Fred Bigner described John's message like, this. He said, your only hope, it's like John saying this, your only hope is to clean up your life as if your life depended on it, which it does, and get baptized in a hurry as a sign you had. Now, you saw Shaylin's video of her being baptized. Baptism, again, is what we do to welcome one into the life and ministry of this church and celebrate their intention, their, their decision to follow and be formed by Jesus, and it's how each of us, as the church at Harpeth Heights, uh, when we have our moment in the baptismal waters, or if you've already been baptized and you come to join this church, then you profess, you know, that you've done that, and you join the church, and you say that you want to be a part of this body, the local church. We want to help and be helped, as the text says, to bear fruit consistent with repentance. As we talked last week, here's the thing. It just doesn't matter who you are. Where you are is evidenced by the beautiful reading of Psalm 23 today. My goodness, so beautiful. Or what you've done. Now, John was an unlikely choice to be the preacher with the long lines out in the wilderness. But this is showing us that there's no hierarchy in God's kingdom. God's kingdom that John is preaching is coming. Everyone is loved as equal, and anyone can be a part. Just turn your life around and produce good fruit, and then help one another to do so as well, whoever you are. I just can't get over those long lines, though, y'all. I can't let it go. The crowds. Something is going on here. Something is happening. Repent, repent and be baptized was John's message. People were just lining up. Maybe they were lonely. Safe to say they were searching. You think? They were listening to John. They were leaning in. We're into this message. He said, go produce good fruit. Because trees that don't produce good fruit, well, the axe is already at the, at the base of those trees. John didn't mince words. The folks who were lined up, it would stand for us to reason they wanted to produce good fruit. So they got right to it. They said, John... They talked back to this preacher. Y'all don't talk back enough. What should we do? Let us in. Just give us 
the bottom line. What should we do? That really stuck out to me this week, that question. It's not asked just once. It's asked several times in the way Luke records this story. Several times. First time, it's a blanket. What should we do? Letting us know that everybody there, big crowds, not just a few. This is not a small group meeting. They want to know what they should do. So John looks around. He surveys the scene. I mean, he sees... I mean, I just, we just moved our, our house. I mean, I've got... 15 coats. I wear one at a time. I mean, he looks, he looks out and sees somebody just like me out there. And he says, hey, you, or you, for instance, with more than one coat. Give, give one to somebody who doesn't have one. Or, or you over there who, who literally eats whatever you want to eat whenever you want to eat it. Share. Some of the most fundamental directives ever issued to any humans is where he starts here. Share. I say it every morning when I drop my kids off from school. At least I used to when I dropped my kids off at school. Be kind and be fair. Elliot, he's nine now and he's real smart. But you say, Dad, that life is not fair. It's like philosophizing at 8 o'clock in the morning. Not a word, but you got my point. And I'm like, that's exactly why I'm telling you to be fair. Won that one. Be kind and be fair. Second group are the tax collectors. Now, they, they're employed by Rome. Rome is, is, is ruler over all of this, this part of the world and this time in the world. And the tax collectors are appointed whatever, wherever they're from, whoever they are. Many of them that lived around the time where Luke would have been writing about when John was preaching would have been Jewish men employed to collect taxes. Rome would say you collect this much and whatever you collect over this much you get to keep. And so you can imagine the type of reputation that the tax collectors had from the people. These were not beloved folks, regardless of how much they were actually deceptive, but their reputation preceded them. And John's word for them was, don't take more than you're authorized. I'm sure there was a set amount more they were supposed to take. That's what they were accused of abusing. Third group is a little less uh, maybe translatable to us in this time. We don't live in a soldier-occupied time in history or place. But the soldiers would have been Roman or acting on behalf of Rome, and they obviously were taking advantage of their position. John's like, don't do that. Don't be a bully. Some of the most basic directives imaginable. Be fair. Share. (laughs) I I guess... Share. Lewis just turned our, our third child, that's right, turned eight this week. And, you know, we couldn't have a big party. It's okay. They don't need a party every year. <laughs> that sounded kind of mean. We celebrate. We just don't need, you know, big. Anyway, 
And I remembered Hattie turning three last year, and she had her a party where this was October of 19, and she had some friends over. And I remember thinking this because it was the time in our family when it real, I realized it occurred to me that Hattie doesn't have much to compete with, three older brothers, and she just kind of plays with whatever she wants, whenever she wants. There's not much competition in the house for her. And she had two of her little precious friends from preschool over to play with her for her birthday. And they were playing in, the, I think, the dining room at the time, and I heard what I thought was uh, somebody getting their head chopped off. I mean, it was the most awful scream I've ever heard. I thought, we've got to call the ambulance. This is real. All of a sudden, somebody can't tell if that was Hattie or not. Somebody is dying. It was Hattie. She wasn't dying. Addie and Autumn just wanted to play with her toys. She wouldn't let them. So blood-curdling scream later, we had to have a talk with Hattie to, uh, to share. Pretty basic directive there. See John's point here. This is how you bear fruit. And he's given specific instruction to the folks who are gathered around him. And it's anybody's. Now, John's not asking them to move mountains. He's not going as far as Jesus does later with his disciples when he asks them to leave their vocations and follow him permanently. He doesn't say, come follow me out here in the desert, in the wilderness. Come eat some bugs with me. John was known to eat locusts and wild honey. See, the point is, John is making this, I believe, hit home for us. This is doable. Share. Be fair. Don't be a bully. Whoever we are, wherever life finds us daily, those places that God has called us to be, we will all leave here in a few minutes and we will go to those places where we live and work, where we struggle and where we strive, where we spend time with those that we care for, those that we dine with, those that we laugh with, those that we cry with. This is precisely where we are called. And this is John's point here, is bear this fruit where you are already. And 2020 has amplified these spaces, right? I mean, this is an, an, an important time. I know that our home has never seen the stress that it's seeing right now, not that particular kind as our rhythms have been forced to change. Healthcare professionals did not sign up for this. Teachers have never known this strain. Hobbies have been stripped away from many of us. Jobs have been lost. Loved ones gone too soon. Loved ones getting sick without our ability to spend time with them. I know I sound like a broken record, but it bears repeating each week. Our rhythms have never been taxed like this before. Maybe we can relate to the folks who have joined John out in the wilderness. Maybe they feel something like we do right now. Maybe that's why they're out there looking for something, looking for relief. Life is just not easy right now. And the one that John is proclaiming that is coming, he's the one that says, cast your burdens on me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will give you rest. Now, Bill Coffin was the pastor at the uh, historic Riverside Church in New York City during the 70s and the 80s. I, I have a couple of his uh, volumes of his sermons 
and I love reading them. Brilliant preacher, pastor. Uh, it's fun to go back and read the sermons and, and see the date in which they were preached and to match what was going on in the world and how he handled speaking on that, New York City being in such a central part of the world in so many different ways. Anyway, he was going to be gone one week, and he had a friend, a guest preacher, come and preach for him from out of town. The guest preacher was not able to get there until the night before, so he came. He was going to stay in Bill's uh, apartment. Now, Bill Coffin was an incredible pastor and preacher. Could not keep a house, though. And so arriving late on a Saturday night to come in and, and rest before getting up to, to preach the next morning, the guest preacher, I mean, finally found the bed after he waded through all the mess. Uh, Dr. Coffin literally had to have, like, paper with arrows on it to get him there. It was crazy. Woke up the next morning hungry, goes to the uh, refrigerator, and there's a note on the refrigerator that says there's no food in here. Opens the refrigerator, there's another note, and it says, told you. <laughs> but go on down to the church, and there'll be some food there. So he, guest preacher goes on down to the church. He thinks, this, this is great, I'll get to go down, I'll be with some of the folks, we'll eat a good meal. Get ready to preach. He gets there. And there's an incredibly long line out in the sidewalk. And these are not the church folks he was expecting to see. But he's hungry, so he gets in line. And he finally gets to the front, and he's served you know, a scoop of eggs, watery grits, piece of bacon, biscuit. And he goes and sits down to eat. And he sits across from a man that he describes as Obviously seen better days. Guest preacher says, what's your name? He says, John. Where are you from, John? From Albany. What did you do in Albany? Well, I was a stockbroker. Till the bottle took my marriage and kids, jobs. John looked back at the guest preacher and said, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a preacher. John laughed, belly laugh. He said, man, it'll get any of us, won't it? The guest preacher said, in that moment, I wanted to jump up on the table. I wanted to say, I'm, I'm not here for the food. I've got all these degrees. I've worked so hard. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a good preacher. I was invited to be here. In two hours, I will occupy one of the most important pulpits in all of America. I'm important. But he didn't. Hear me. Because in a sense, it doesn't matter where you're the, whether you're the one serving the food in the assembly line or receiving it. In a sense, it doesn't matter if you're the one who the bottle has consumed or the one preaching in the grand pulpit. In a sense, it just doesn't matter. 
this line that has formed at John and at his preaching is filled with anybody. Anybody's. And the question this morning is what should we do? I, am, I need to confess as I close this down that I am pretty tattered right now by the circumstances that we all find ourselves in. This is very difficult to, to live in such a time as this. You know, there have been several emails come to me and phone calls lately about folks who are just unwilling to get out because they don't know if where they're going people are going to have masks on. So they're not coming to church, they're not going to, you know, wherever. Not Costco, they're going there because they make you wear them there. And then there's folks who absolutely don't want to be told that they're supposed to wear a mask. Mask is just one example. We've got a vaccine coming and that might even be more difficult. And then I, I don't, you know, I've got friends who think that we were nowhere close to counting the vote right in our election. And I've got friends who trust it. And I just, it's just a difficult time. Especially for an Enneagram 9, as I've told you. So much division. And we lit the joy candle today. Do I sound joyful? Let me tell you something. This is precisely the time in the world for the church to be what John is telling the church to be right here. This is our time. I woke up this morning thinking the joy candle had nothing to say to us this morning, and I was absolutely wrong because we're the ones that have it when the world doesn't. Our joy is rooted in nothing that the world offers. Only in Christ. This is precisely the time for the church to be the church. There's no Supreme Court that can tell us whether or not we can gather we didn't stop gathering. It didn't look the same. It was different. I became a televangelist without the cash. But we didn't stop gathering. I didn't receive one phone call that said, y'all can't get together. We pivoted. We adjusted. We loved well, in my opinion, and we must continue to do so for as long as this takes. Because 
There is a big, long line. It just is. You're going to see them all week this week. You're going to pass them. And what bearing good fruit looks like is, 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 one, is, is first and foremost wondering whether or not that person has the joy that you have. And when we're bickering and fighting and when we are not unified, this is the whole point of the New Testament, we, we get in our, our own way. And that doesn't come to our mind quickly enough, if ever. So just look to Jesus with me this week. Decide and remember that we are following and being formed by him. You see, the line's not at John's feet anymore. It's at Jesus. John is not accessible. He dies in Matthew 11. Jesus lives. The question this morning is, what should we do? This time of year teaches us that Jesus has made his home among us, that he is God with us. And we focus on the fact that he is coming again. Let that be your joy. Let nothing stand in the way of that.